0: Well, good morning. Good to be here with you. We are in a series called Disruptive Grace. And the idea that we're interested in considering is the possibility that disruptions in our lives, like pretty much all of 2020, um, and what's shaping up to perhaps be a good portion of 2021, that these disruptions might actually be a gracious gift. Now, this, of course, is only possible when we recognize that our entire lives, disruptions in all, Are in the hands of a good and tender and all-powerful god one who pursues us and pursues the best for us even when we can't see it in the moment so we're looking at the stories of various men and women in scripture uh, whose lives were absolutely upset by the flooding in of disruptive grace last week i was blessed by Joe's message uh, his treatment of gideon uh, that mighty warrior that was hiding in a wine press so he wouldn't be captured by the Midianites, um, and so here we are, mighty warrior. But nonetheless, after some uh, fair amount of okay, a lot of coaxing, uh, Gideon was allowed to believe that the Lord was indeed with him. And to quote Jijo, even a clumsy obedience is still courageous obedience. And I love that because it's a very human, it's a very real description of, um, you know, uh, really an amazement and a disbelief that God would be able to use someone like him. I mean, you and I, uh, we also, we tend to think that God uses really special people to do his bidding. Um, But I think the lesson from last week's sermon is that our God especially uses real people to do his bidding. Real people, people like you, people like me, we don't walk on water, we don't, mem- particularly mem- uh, we don't memorize scripture particularly well, we stumble when we pray and when we speak. Um, we hide our faith, choosing to live it out in a wine press, lest the hostile forces you know, attack us. But people like you and me, that kind of real people are the ones that he chooses, God chooses. He calls and he gives the honor and the joy of being used by him. And this this happens when we encounter God's grace. Sometimes it's in an abrupt and dramatic manner, uh, but sometimes it's a slow but unmistakable dawning. This morning's sermon is entitled Hail Mary. Now, to be clear, we're not talking about um, significant football plays, um, long passes with lots of time to seek intercession. Uh, it's... Hail Mary is also not a reference to uh, how much time I spent in preparing this sermon. Um, No. We're going to be looking at Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus. Um, And we're going to be looking in that beautiful passage when the angel Gabriel announced that Mary was going to give birth to the Son of God. So let's go ahead and read the passage. We'll be reading it in Luke chapter 1, verses uh, 26 through 38. The birth of Jesus foretold. Now, if you're looking for a person in the scriptures whose life experienced an encounter with God's grace that might be described as disruptive, this counts. Um, I'm going to call them three points of today's sermon, but really it's a trio of statements, um, which when coupled together gives us the primary movements through this passage. Basically, full of favor means full of disruption. So don't be surprised, then rejoice and glorify the Lord. Full of favor means full of disruption. I'll actually be spending the bulk of my time here. So expect to be surprised, and then rejoice and glorify the Lord. Okay, what what do I mean when I say full of favor means full of disruption? The angel Gabriel shows up and says to Mary, Greetings, you who are highly favored. Many of you will recognize this phrase as a part of the rosary prayer, which begins with Hail Mary, full of grace. Then NIV uses the word greetings, um, or hail, in the Hail Mary. As it's an exclamatory greeting. It's a, it's a, hey, hello, blessings upon you, we are glad to see you sort of a thing. Uh, it's a word that's used when implying a wish for happiness for the person being um, greeted. Kind of like Hail, Caesar. Um, so, Hail, we wish your happiness. Mary. awesome, greetings. And Gabriel continues and says, you who are highly favored. Or literally, you who have been shown great kindness. Or even, quite literally, you who have been greatly graced. Greetings, Mary, you who have been greatly graced." Now I don't know what you would have done in a moment like this, um, or how you would have handled it. Mary, likely just a teenager, was greeted and even blessed by this glowing creature, Glory, um, who if you didn't know better, you'd almost be tempted to worship because there's something just so good and right and otherworldly um, about this creature this angel comes to you and says, you've been greatly graced. Hooray! Can you imagine that? The very next phrase that Gabriel offers is, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Now, if you're a good Jewish girl, and you know the scriptures and the story of God at work through his people, when do when you hear that phrase, the Lord is with you? And when you hear it, when, what do you think of when an angel says to you, the Lord is with you? The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. This is just exactly what we are talking about last week with Gideon. And so when this angel shows up before Mary and says, the Lord is with you, she may very well be thinking to herself, O-M-Y, O my Yahweh. This is what happened to Gideon. Is this what is happening to me? We'll find that Mary, in realizing what's happening here and the greeting that she's receiving, suddenly is greatly troubled at his words. And I think this is where we see the disruption that comes, that comes uh, with grace. Think about it. Wait, what? Surely I'm not going to be useful to God like Gideon was. How could the Lord possibly use me to deliver salvation to his people? Or, wait, do I have to go somewhere? I've got plans to get married to this really great guy named Joseph. What mighty redemptive act might you be calling me to? I mean, we were planning on having a family and living happily ever after that. You know, he may not be a dentist, but I'm going to have free carpentry for life. Uh, This isn't going to get disrupted, will it? I'd simply like to note here that being declared full of grace, having been highly graced, doesn't mean that your life will be without disruption. It certainly didn't turn out to be the case for Mary. I would suggest that being... And having received lots of grace may actually mean that you will experience more disruption than you you might actually ever hope for. Verse 30, you have found favor with God. This is what the angel says. And again, the word favor is the same word as grace. You have found grace with God. And by the end of verse 32, you are going to give birth to the Son of God. Okay, here's another. Uh, I don't know what Mary was thinking. It's not recorded in the scriptures, but I imagine. Wait, what? Are you, you keep saying that I found favor with God. You say I've been greatly graced by the Lord, highly favored. That I'm, go- I, I'm going to give birth to the Son of God? You know, an immaculate conception is going to be a difficult thing to explain to people. It's gonna be a tough sell. It's scandalous. People will think I wasn't a good person. What will my family do? What will they say? What will the neighbors think or say? Will Joseph still love me? Will he understand? Will we still get married? Could we? Now what will become of me? If what you're saying is true, what will become of me? How will I make a living as a social outcast? Who's going to take care of me in this highly patriarchal society? The scriptures say that Mary, in spite of being highly favored, having found favor with God, the scriptures say that Mary was greatly troubled. And I think we would be as well. Now, we don't know why, what Mary actually thought, but I don't think that these concerns would be too far fetched in terms of how she was thinking. I mean, I imagine these things in her response because it is so reassuringly human. It was so much like Gideon's response when he was told that the Lord was with you. None of these hopes, none of these longings, none of these desires that I've just imagined Mary to have, to think, or to feel, is necessarily wrong at all. I believe they are okay. They are okay things to hope for and to long for and to desire. The problem, of course, is if we desire them more than we desire God. In his book, Uh, A Life Without Lack, Dallas Willard writes about desire, about human desire. And he makes this interesting observation. He says that human desire is infinite by its nature. It cannot be satisfied. And he continues, and he says, desire, our desire, our human desire is infinite partly because we were made by God made for god made to need god and made to run on god and we can only be satisfied by the one who is infinite who is eternal and able to supply all of our needs we are only at home in god that's just really interesting to think about our human desires and to be able to recognize that they cannot be um, satisfied never fully by anything other in the person of the one who created us. He continues and makes this observation. He says, When we fall away from God, the desire for the infinite remains, but it is displaced upon things that will certainly lead to destruction. Certainly lead to destruction. It makes a lot of sense to me. This then is perhaps how we can understand disruption in our lives as actually being a good thing. Any good desire health, well being, prosperity, smart and successful children, fame and good reputation, the approval of others, fill in the blank with whatever your kryptonite is. Any of these things, when desired in the right order relative to our desire for God, is fine it's good. When we are satisfied in God and live in him and run on him, in short, we rightly place our hope and our priority of relationship upon him. These other desires remain good. In fact, rightly ordered behind our desire for God, these things begin to perhaps even resemble a bit of what the abundant life uh, that Jesus came uh, and offered us. But if we allow or displace our infinite desire on that which will never fully satisfy, but actually only enslave, trouble will abound. Um, I am still uncertain about how to process the events of this past Wednesday. Uh, I'm recording this on a Thursday. It's really just the next day. Uh, But, you know, here we have a mob of angry Trump supporters ransacking the Capitol and Senate offices, breaking windows, terrorizing the Senate during their deliberations. People died, tear gas was used, a Confederate flag was flying at the Capitol, guns drawn in the House chamber. And there were signs, I'm told, that included, Jesus is my savior, but Trump is my president. Now, I don't know how you took that news, but it was deeply disturbing to me. And while I am only speaking for myself, I have to ask myself, what is happening? What's going on? I have no idea. I cannot comment on how many people there were white supremacists advocating for something they desired and hoped for so greatly that they were willing to riot. I can't comment on how many people believe that the reign of any American president should be more authoritative than the reign of Jesus of Nazareth. And I can't comment regarding the disordered love and devotion that some elected officials tasked with governing for the common good did not. I I can't really comment on that. But I will say, what sat at the heart of all of that was displacing our infinite desire and placing it on a created thing or a political party or a person. And if you do that, it will certainly lead to destruction, as it did. I was gathering with some pastors just trying to figure out how to process all of what we were seeing. And a quote by James K. Smith seemed to really capture what was going on, and I think fits in quite nicely with um, what I intend to communicate today. James K. Smith writes, Our idolatries are less like conscious decisions to believe a falsehood, and more like learned dispositions to hope in what will eventually disappoint our idolatries are not so much conscious decisions to believe something false, but rather our idolatries are learned dispositions to hope in what will disappoint. He continues to say, our idolatries are not intellectual. They are affective. They're matters of the heart. They are instances of disordered love and devotion. Idolatry is caught more than it is taught. And so We practice our way into idolatries, absorbing them from the water in which we swim. Hence, our idolatries often reflect the ethos of our environments. Disordered love, disordered devotion, placing our infinite desire upon something or someone other than God, will lead to destruction. I would think that being greatly graced to have found favor with the Lord would mean that disruption of our lives could and should be embraced as a means by which God graciously prompts us or he kind of pokes us to kind of see how tight our grip is on something. I mean, wouldn't it be just like our loving, gracious Heavenly Father to help give us perspective on what it is that we are placing our infinite desire upon? Wouldn't it be just like God to remind us that that is not the way of the abundant life? Wouldn't it just be like our gracious, tender Father to say, hey, look, you have placed too much desire on something? rather than placing your desire on someone. On New Year's Eve, I was um, invited to gr- join a group of, small group of friends to, to pray in the new year. And um, I was like, okay, great. And it actually turned out to be a time of lament. Uh, had I done that, I, I, I'm sure I still would have joined. Uh, but for several of us, we realize that this pandemic had put a giant damper on our ability to do the things we wanted to do. We couldn't go to restaurants, we couldn't live life, we couldn't go on vacation. Um, and And I realized that there were some things that I wanted to accomplish in ministry. I had goals for this past year that I simply couldn't. And I began to realize, it felt as if the Lord was sort of reminding me, sort of prompting my heart, that... I generally or even usually look toward my ministry accomplishments as as something that gives me peace and satisfaction. And I remember thinking that, oh, it's possible that this pandemic and this change of pace and the, the limitations that I have to be able to accomplish the things that I feel like will give me peace is actually a disruptive grace in the sense that it reminds me that I am trusting in accomplishments more than I am trusting in my relationship with the Lord to give me a sense of peace and satisfaction. Others lamented a hold placed on their careers due to an uncertain economy, losing work. Others complained about financial saving goals, savings goals that were sidelined because, you know, it was crazy. And you get this. Because you too feel these things. Is it possible that we who have also been greatly favored of the Lord and have been graced greatly that we can look at disruption in our lives as a gift of the Lord? A gift that gives us awareness of what it is that we have desired or even over-desired. Here's a great Time to sort of ask the question what discomfort do I feel? What is it that is behind my frustrations? What goals are being blocked, and are they the right goals? More importantly, what is it that I desire or want that I'm being frustrated from receiving? And why is it that these things are more important for my sense of peace than knowing that I'm in relationship with the God of the universe who calls me his beloved? Like Mary, we too have been highly favored. We too have been graced beyond imagination. And like Mary, we shouldn't be surprised if we begin to experience all kinds of disruption and dissonance. I actually think being full of grace, being graced greatly, having found favor with the Lord actually means that we should expect a life full of disruptions. Full of grace means full of disruptions. That's the case I'm trying to make. And disruptions are good. The second phrase then is simply, so expect to be surprised. You know, just briefly, um, we should be surprised. Verse 34 in this story, we find Mary asking, well, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Surprise! Uh, I can't explain the biology. You know, I didn't have the courage to talk about the birds and the bees with, uh, with our kids. You know, praise God we had girls. Um, and uh, even Gabriel, right? It's like, uh, well, you know, the Holy Spirit, uh, overcome, take, uh, and the Holy One to be born would be called the Son of God. That's why I read that. And the and, and Gabriel says, and in fact, just so you know that this is going to be true, Elizabeth will have a child in her old age. This is crazy stuff. Surprise. You know, um, we just came out of Christmas season, and so I just love the words of that song, Mary, Did You Know? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you have any idea that that would be the case? The child that you delivered is soon going to be delivering you. Your baby boy would give sight to the blind man and calm the storm with his hand. And did you know that when you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God? Surprise! It's crazy that that God works in this way. You know, God rarely works in the ways that we expect. I mean, how could God use a valiant warrior hiding in a wine press? How does God use a poor teenage girl to deliver his people and bless the nations? Surprise. And this seems to be how God works. You see, through the work of this baby boy Jesus, we too have been greatly favored It is by grace that we have been saved. It is by grace that we have been saved. Immense grace. And that we are saved from so much more than the penalty of our sins. Absolutely true. But we have also been saved from our own devices here on earth. By God's grace, we get disrupted. We get disrupted in our idea of who it is that God uses. Yes, poor teenage girls, fearful, valiant warriors, stay-at-home parents, school teachers, grandparents. God uses us, those who have been greatly graced. Other things that get disrupted includes our idea of whether or not we personally have any place in God's redemptive purposes in the world. Oh, yes. Be ready to be surprised on how God can use you when we rightly have our desires in the right order. And God likes to disrupt our nice orderly categories of how he's supposed to work. Oh, if we've learned anything by now, God can use anything. And while I wouldn't wish it upon any democracy, God can even use an insurrection at the Capitol, to remind people that, yes, this is how far far things will go when we misplace our infinite desires upon something rather than someone, God. Full of grace means full of disruptions. Be ready to be surprised and then rejoice and glorify the Lord. How did Mary respond? I mean, I can imagine an entire spectrum of responses, right? Here's Gabriel saying, hey, you're gonna have the the, the child of God, the son of God. I can see a range of responses from, okay, to, okay. She may have had a lot of things that she hoped for, longed for, was looking forward to, But her response, verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Translation, I'm in. I'm in. Just a few verses a little bit further down in Mary's song, the Magnificat. We find her singing, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Father. I really think that much of Mary's experience as a surprised, poor teenager regarding what God might do, how God might do it, is not that far from the type of experiences that we might experience. We, too, have been greatly graced. We, too, have found favor with the Lord. And the question then becomes, how am I willing to be surprised by how the Lord might want to use me? And the hope would be that we are able to cultivate the kind of relationship and place our desire upon Him in such ways that when that question comes before us, we find ourselves saying, as Mary did, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said, I'm in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is a complicated and confusing world. It is full of disruptions. It is full of craziness that we absolutely cannot make sense of. We often can't. And yet, Lord, we know that in the hands of a good and sovereign God, we are, can see ways in which disruptions in our life can actually be expressions of grace, that they are gifts at the hand of a loving God who loves us too much to leave us the way we are. And so, Father, would you help us to rightly order our desires, to want you over anything, to be open to being used in ways in which we cannot even begin to imagine. And so, Father, grace us with an ability to see your hand at work. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.